successful with money. My name is Jared Dixon, and I will be your host today. Welcome to episode six, and thanks so much for uh, for hanging out with me here for a little bit. Um, as usual, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, just wanted to remind everyone that if you're not already subscribed to our newsletter, um, please do so. Um, not only is it a great way to support the podcast if you find it interesting, um, but there's a couple benefits of it. All of the content we do here, I do here, um, will be sent directly to your inbox on a biweekly basis. Um, so you don't have to worry about going to Facebook or you know, going to the website to see the latest episode of the podcast. It will all be delivered right to you biweekly. I'm not going to spam you. I know what that feels like. <laughs> Nobody wants an email a day um, trying to gain attention and, and get views and, and all of that. Um, so I'm definitely not going to do it for that. So um, that's one benefit. It's a one-stop shop for everything we do here at Millennial Economics. It, I promise you, um, will help you become more well-versed with money, with finance, with investing, um, and it'll just kind of sharpen that blade. Um, and we could all use a little bit of sharpening of our blades. So uh, the second thing that it will do, I just built a quick guide to financial success. There's a few steps, a few tips uh, for being financially fit. Um, it's a two-pager, a PDF. I think you'll really, really like it. Um, I recommend anybody that is just starting their financial journey, and I should say uh, being intentional with their financial journey and wants to get financially fit, it's going to be a great, great resource for you um, to save to your desktop or print out and put at your desk at work or what have you um, on some steps that you can take to get there. Uh, whenever you subscribe to the newsletter on our website, you will get the opportunity to download that PDF um, absolutely free. So if that interests you at all, um, go to www.millennialecon.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and you can get access to all of that. So um, housekeeping out of the way. Um, let's dig right in here and get into our two topics. The first one I want to talk to you about is how I get instant equity on my home purchases. And there's a few things that I want to touch on, and I'll... I'll kind of give you a little bit of background about myself and tell you my journey and then, you know, how I kind of figured out the process, so to say. Um, there's no get-rich-quick scheme here. There's no, you know, tax work tricks that you have to figure out, but it's just using a whole lot of logic um, and some patience mixed in with that when you're when you're purchasing your home. And, you know, one thing I do want to say, I know that it can sound like I, I do this whenever I'm buying rental properties, but I did this for my primary residence. Um, and a lot of people don't think they can make significant money on their primary residence. They exclude that um, or, and assign it only to rental income or investment income. But it's simply not true. You just have to know kind of how you're doing it. And if you think that there aren't deals out there on the MLS, on Realtor.com, on Zillow right now that you can take advantage of if you're looking to buy a home, to get a home that you want in the neighborhood that you want it, um, but also a home that's going to be a great investment. If you don't think that's out there because most of the markets are white hot right now, um, you're mistaken because it stuff is is out there. It is out there. You don't have to know before the homes hit the market um, what's going to happen. You don't have to you know buddy up with an investor to figure out how to get into a quick deal, and you don't have to you know have cash. You can do this the good old fashioned way of getting a bank loan. I'm going with the realtor to look at homes. You can take advantage of some things, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea how I've done that twice now. So um, a little bit about me. I purchased my first home when I was quite young. I was 23 years old, um, and I purchased my second home about a year and a half ago, and I'm 29 now. Um, so I've been through this process twice, 
um, I have a very, I have an interest in it generally. So I just kind of gravitated toward learning about the process, what it takes, what the realtor does, what me as the buyer should do, what me as the seller should do. Um, I have a pretty good grasp just because I'm browsing realtor <laughs> all the time on, you know, what my home value is and what the average values are. I've lived in the city where I'm at since I was basically five years old. Um, and so I have a really good idea of what neighborhoods are appreciating, what neighborhoods are a little stagnant, what neighborhoods might be depreciating. So all of that is to my benefit, I, I will admit. Um, but anybody out there can can do this uh, if you're looking to buy a home. So um, like I said, my interest in real estate has been there from a young age. I've always just kind of admired people that owned property and have owned land. Um, one of my goals is that I want to own, you know, a bigger plot of land. Um, even that's just, even if it's just for recreation, maybe for an investment later down the road. But I, I just like real estate. I like figuring out how to make money doing it. I like learning about what the realtor does and what the title company does and how the bank, you know, how it, they check your credit and what that means and getting pre-approvals and the underwriting process. I just kind of geek out about it. Um, and I know that it can be a place to make significant income. Um, so that also, <laughs> that also motivates me a little bit as well. Um, but when we started, when my wife and I started looking for our first home, um, and she's, she's a little bit younger than me too. So, um, I believe she was 21 and I was 23, you know, we obviously wanted a home that was affordable. Our budget was small. <laughs> it was a single family household. She was staying home with the kid and I was not making um, great money, uh, not bad money, but I wasn't making great money either, but we were definitely on a tight budget, um, and it was in a market that was red hot, and it's still red hot to, the, to this day. Um, so people were getting over asking. Um, they were getting, I mean, the appreciation on their homes in two, three years was just insane, um, and so it was a very, very competitive buyer's market. Um, sellers were just make, raking in cash, and they still are. Um, on their home purchases. So we knew we wanted a home that was going to be homey. You know, we, of course, my wife, you know, she tends to lean toward wanting to purchase homes that are done and beautiful and finished. Um, and there's that's definitely a time and place for that, especially with the residential property. And I wanted to provide that for her, but I also wanted to make sure that what we were doing was going to be a good long-term investment. Um, even better if it could be a good short-term investment. And so, you know, I really strive to check both boxes. And I think we were really happy with the first home that we purchased. Uh, so basically, um, what I noticed was happening, or what I noticed was on the market was, you know, there were all these homes that were, had granite countertops and new light fixtures and new paint and refinished hardwood floors and, you know, teal doors <laughs> and all of that stuff. And that people were paying top dollar for it. Um, often way over asking price. And I knew that I didn't want to get into a bidding war and overpay for something again because I wanted to make sure that what we were doing was going to be a good financial investment. Um, so after I got through that and after we looked at a bunch of houses and you know just not deciding that we wanted to take that plunge into a house that was completely done and overpay for it, I started looking at the homes that were on Realtor and Zillow for, you know, longer than two or three days. Because, I mean, in the market that we were in when we were buying, it was just, they were going in hours, you know. So if a home was on Zillow for more than two or three days, I knew something was up with it. And through this research and just hours and hours of browsing, I, I kind of whittled it down. And really, there were two, two reasons why they typically stayed on Realtor.com. Number one was they were overpriced. So all, really, all the homes in, at the time were a little overpriced. 
but if your home wasn't selling, you know, you knew your home was really overpriced. You know, some people would just throw a property up there at an astronomical number and see if they would get a bite. A lot of people did. A lot of people didn't. Um, so I noticed that there were certain houses that were on the market for a long time that were way overpriced. And obviously, I didn't want anything to do with those. The second category of houses, um, and it has two subcategories, but the second category of houses was they didn't look good. Um, they were falling apart a little bit. They were dated. Um, so the subgroup A um, were houses that obviously were in really bad shape. I mean, you got a hole in your roof. Um, your foundation is crumbling. You know, the elect- there's no electricity in the home. <laughs> you know, these are really uh, drastic examples. But, you know, they needed some serious, serious work. Um, so that was subgroup A. Um, there was also subgroup B. And subgroup B was the house was in fine shape. Um, it just was ugly. Like it was old. There was orange shag carpet in the rooms or red theater carpet in the rooms. And all of the rooms were like brown or purple. And there were holes in the wall uh, from, you know, people that, you know, they hung stuff up and they didn't fill in the holes when they moved out. It just was ugly, like old appliances and, and nasty kitchen countertops, that sort of thing. I didn't want anything to do with group A because I didn't want to have to deal with a roof that was, you know, going to need replacing or foundation work or, you know, any of the major, major things. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Um, But subgroup B intrigued me um, because a lot of the houses that I looked at just needed cosmetic work. They just needed some paint, some carpet ripped out, maybe the floors refinished, which I actually did. (laughs) Me and my father-in-law did, and we didn't do too, too bad of a job. Uh, they just needed cosmetic work. And I've always been a little bit handy. Um, I've always had an interest in getting my hands dirty and figuring things out. And I'm, I'm addicted to looking at a problem, going on YouTube and figuring out how I can do it myself. Um, you know, in my past, I've, like I said, refinished hardwood floors. I've built shelves. I've installed new toilets, new vanities. I've done a little bit of electric work. I've switched out light fixtures. I've, you know, anything really cosmetic that you can think of, I've done. I've built a fence. Um, So I knew that with the powers that were within me (laughs) and also the knowledge that was out there so readily available now on YouTube um, that I could accomplish a lot of these cosmetic things for very, very cheap. Um, And I could do them myself. I didn't have to wait on contractors and go that whole merry-go-round. That's a whole story in and of itself dealing with contractors. Um, I knew that I trusted myself to do the work right and well, and I knew that I could get the supplies for them very inexpensively at a hardware store, and I knew that I could learn how to do it with the resources that are online. So um, what I decided was to go with subgroup B um, and go for something that was in a great neighborhood where we wanted to be, was in great shape uh, as far as the bones go, um, but that needed some cosmetic work because you would be shocked at how many people looking for a home cannot look past orange shag carpet. People just have a really hard time doing it. People have a hard time looking at bad paint in a home. Um, People have a hard time looking past bad photos on realtor.com, believe it or not. Like if your photos don't look good, you're not going to get as many views in your home. And it doesn't matter if your home is amazing and in perfect condition. If your photos don't look great, you're not going to get as many buyers, as many lookers, or as many lookers. (laughs) Uh, You're not going to get as many people looking at your property. So um, what I decided was, well, I'll take advantage of people's inability to look past 
certain things. And I'll look at some of these older homes, or excuse me, some of these homes that, you know, were a little bit more run down. So we scheduled a bunch of showings for homes that, you know, needed work, and I'd have to try to convince my wife that I could do this and I can do that, and you just got to see the vision, and that's a story in and of itself. Um, it's still a battle to this day. <laughs> but um, one thing that I did notice after looking at several, several properties is that these properties that check the box of being in good structural shape and also check the box of needing cosmetic work tended to be owned by older people, or previously owned, I guess you could say, by older folks. Um, and man, a, a light went off in my head, and I've, I've preached this gospel um, to many, many people, even here recently in the past couple weeks, on how to go about buying a home. And here's the key phrase here, so I want you guys to listen up, and I'm going to lower my voice so that you guys really listen here, because I think people listen better when I whisper. <laughs> but if you're looking to buy a home and you want a home that's going to be a good value, that might be in a good neighborhood, um, that's going to be structurally sound, tend to be structurally sound. You never really do know everything. But buy homes from old people. Buy homes from old people because one thing I know about older folks is that, yes, their style might not be as up-to-date as us young millennials, right? They may like the old carpet, or maybe they never fixed it up from when they installed it in the 70s, and they have appliances that they had for 40 years, and you know the, the colors in the rooms are like pink and purple and all of this crazy stuff. But one thing I know about old people is that they have pride of ownership, typically, and they take care of their things. So when something needs to be fixed, they fix it, and they do it the right way. They don't, they, you don't want to skimp on, on, on your work. And this is exactly the kind of home that I want. I want a home that's been maintained phenomenally for 30 years that might look a little bad, and I can fix that myself. So how I get instant equity on my home purchases is buying homes from old people. And I walk through these homes, and I know what I'm capable of. I also have the self-awareness to know what I'm not capable of, and that's important because you don't want to get in over your head because that's going to cost you money, and you're going to lose out on that good investment when you're throwing thousands of dollars in something that you could do yourself. You tried it and then had to hire a contractor. So I had the self-awareness of what I could do, what I knew that I couldn't do. I knew what to look for in terms of structural issues from just like my research on YouTube and looking at a bunch of homes. If you look at a ton of homes, you're going to be able to have an eye for this stuff, right? Um, and I took advantage of a house that was structurally sound in a great part of town um, on a nice size lot, half an acre lot, um, that had a phenomenal foundation. The roof was immaculate. It had a great brand new front porch, um, but there was nasty carpet in it. The person who lived there smoked. The kitchen, you know, needed new appliances. Um, the bed, you know, the floors needed refinishing. I don't know if I said that already. And we bought that property. And um, that first home we sold four years later for $50,000 more than what we bought it for. And that, may not, that might not seem like a lot, but we paid just over $100,000 for that property. We paid just over $100,000 for that property, and four years later, we made $50,000 on the sale of that home. And I used this exact same formula on our home that we just bought about a year and a half ago, and we already have, I want to say, $50,000 in equity on this property. Probably more, to be honest with you, with how the market's going. And this home wasn't even as much as a fixer-upper as the old one. It was just decorated bad, poorly, I guess you could say. Um, needed a little bit of work, definitely needed some new paint, 
needed some new fixtures, needed a fence. Um, old Jared got to work when we bought that property and we got some really, really fast equity. So if you're looking for instant equity on a home and you have a little bit of uh, sweat equity that you're willing to put into it, look at homes from old people. Um, that usually will steer you in the right direction. All right, moving on here. Um, actually, before we get into the next point, and the next point's not going to take nearly as long, um, the next topic, I should say. Um, I just, again, wanted to talk about a company that I really love and I've been using for a long time. It's Acorns. Um, Acorns does two things really, really well for me. Um, they automate the investing process and make it super easy. You don't have to pick individual stocks. You pick a portfolio, um, and they have a bunch of options from conservative all the way up to very aggressive. You pick which one you want. You can set recurring investments every week, every month, biweekly, whatever, um, to where you don't even think about it. And oftentimes, and really how I started is, it was such a small amount. I want to say it was like $5 a week that I started investing. Um, I didn't even notice it was gone. Um, but all of a sudden, after a year, I looked in that account, and I'm like, oh, man. You know, not only did my principal increase, but my money is getting a great return. Um, and I'd never experienced that before. Uh, so uh, the second thing I should say um, that Acorns does really well is they have a roundup feature. And essentially what the roundup feature is is you connect a debit card to that account. And every time you make a purchase, it rounds, rounds it up to the nearest dollar and deposits that difference into your account. Great way to make investing super easy, especially for beginners. So if you are a beginner and you have interest in Acorns like I did, um, there is a link in the show notes below. If you use it to sign up, you get $5 added to your Acorns account. Um, and I also get a little bit, bit of kickback, so you're supporting the Millennial Economics Podcast. Um, one other thing, actually, I just wanted to let you know that I've done in the past month is I signed up for a high-yield investing account called Yada. And Yada is a new platform, I guess you could call it. Um, it's backed by a bank um, in Arkansas, um, FDIC insured. Um, but they basically gamify the savings process. Um, so if you're looking to save some money um, and you want a fun way to do it, Yada would be a great option for you. Um, essentially, every week, they do a drawing, and you have a bunch of tickets, um, depending on how much you invest. And they do a drawing, and you can win money. You can actually win up to $10 million, and it's real. <laughs> like This is a real thing, y'all. Um, up to $10 million, you can win a Tesla. Um, and, you know, more realistically, you could win five, ten, dollars $1,000, you know? Um, it's a really fun way to gamify the savings process, and just human instinct, we like, we like the games. You know, we like to think, oh, we might be able to win um, a significant amount of money, and Yada's a great way to do it. I in, uh, save with it. It's a high-yield savings account. I save with it now. Um, so if you'd like to do that and get 100 free tickets, you can use the code below in the show notes, um, just millennial. So there'll be a link in the show notes as well as a code millennial. If you sign up for Yada, you will get 100 free tickets. Um, and you don't even need to invest any money to get take advantage of those tickets. So um, I would highly encourage you to do so. And again, it's FDIC insured. It's backed by a bunch of prominent names in the investing world. Um, it's the real deal. Um, so I'd very much encourage you to do that. But again, okay, we'll move on here. Um, I want to get to the next topic. Um, how I overcame my fear of investing in the stock market. So again, just to give you a little bit of background on me, um, I got married quite young. I believe I was 21 or 22. I can't remember exactly. That's really bad, but I can't. Um, and I had kids young with my wife. And you know, my wife stayed home early on in our marriage. She still does with our kids. 
Um, and you know, back then I didn't make, I wasn't making terrible money, but I definitely wasn't making, um, wasn't making great money. So really I always knew that I wanted to be financially sound. I didn't know anything back then about investing. Um, I knew about saving because that's what my grandparents and my parents had told me to do. You need to save your money for a rainy day. Um, but what I started to realize is that when there's not much left at the end of the month and you just throw it into a savings account, it takes a really, really long time to be a millionaire. Like, how the heck are these people um, that I know that exist out there, how are they millionaires? How do they have all this money if they're just throwing $100 here? Heaven, I mean, one month, if I had 300 extra dollars, I mean, that was a, a miracle. That would take a long time to to get to be a million dollars, and I didn't really understand compound interest. I didn't, I mean, and it's so funny because at my job, I I had a four hundred one k that was you know made up of mutual funds, so I was investing in the market without really knowing it. But uh, yeah, I I just I was ignorant. I was ignorant, and when I started learning about the stock market, like very early stages. Um, I was a bit afraid to put my hard-earned money into the market because there's volatility and there's risk with everything. But the stock market, you just hear horror stories about, you know, I lost all my money or I invested in this thing and I lost all my money and I had no interest, I promise you this, of working a whole year, putting all of my money into the stock market that was outside of my bills, which wasn't much, and then losing it all. <laughs> I had no interest in that. Uh, so... You know, I think a lot of people are in that same place. A lot of young people, you know, they see all these wealthy people out there, nice homes, nice cars, um, or even just people that you may see on YouTube with a fat bank account or a large net worth. And you're like, how the heck did they do that? And I don't really want to, you know, take out a bunch of debt for real estate, or I don't really want to pour all my money into the stock market. And it just seems risky. And, you know, before you know it, it's 20 years and you haven't done anything. And I promise you this, um, you know, one, one, thing that comes to mind is um, when we owned our first home, <laughs> actually, um, I always wanted to plant a fruit tree, you know, a couple of fruit trees in the backyard. Again, we had a half an acre and it's something that I always wanted to do. But every year I just said, oh, well, it's going to take the thing, you know, five years to bear any fruit. You know, it's going to take it 10 years to grow and to where we can really enjoy it. And so I pushed it off year after year after year. Well, you look back then, you know, five years, four years after, and you're like, man, I could have had a, a tree bearing fruit if I just would have pulled the trigger on actually planting it when I first had the idea. Um, I think the saying goes, the best time to plant a tree is today or is now um, because it's a long process and it's a great um, picture of what investing can look like. You know, it takes a long time to build wealth and for compound interest to work. It's not a, it's not a get rich quick thing. It's a slow game. Um, takes a lot of discipline, but boy, you know, when you look back in 20 years, you might have a really strong tree with a great root system um, that's going to bless not only you, but that's going to bless your kids as well. You know, so um, anyways, I don't even remember how I got started. Oh, the, be <laughs> the best time to start investing is now, especially if you're young, especially if you're young, because your money's worth more because of inflation and because of compound interest. Your money's worth more when you're young than when you're old. Your money is worth more when you're young than when you're old. You have so much opportunity to let that money grow and to do great things for you and your family and your kids and your kids' kids if you invest young. Now, I don't suggest just investing to invest because you can get stuck into losing money. Um, so I kind of have a, a four-step, it's really three, I guess, four-step process that I took 
um, to, to get over my fear of investing. So number one, I started educating myself. So I started reading books. You know this. I love reading books. I started listening to podcasts. I started watching quality content on YouTube. And I learned from everyday investors that looked like me with the actual normal person, middle class job, how they became wealthy. So I learned, I learned, I learned. I learned about the stock market. The second thing I did was I, ex- I, I executed. That's not the right <laughs> terminology. Um, yeah, I executed on those, those plans. I guess that is the right thing to say. Um, so I gained all this education, and I actually just took action. And this is the jumping part, right? Um, you have to just do it, but I did it in moderation. I opened up that Acorns account, and I did $5 a week. And I did that for a long time, and I remember it must have been a few months after doing this, I looked at my account, maybe it was a year, and I was like, oh man, like I actually have some serious dollars in there. You know, like my money is working for me. So number one, educate yourself. Number two, execute. Number three, win. Experience the freaking win. Um, So when you start seeing compound interest work, when you start seeing interest work on your investment, when you start to see the dividends get paid to you, you get freaking motivated. And it just is a catalyst and it will shoot you off like a rocket to be able to make investing a habit and to start uh, ratcheting up the amount of money that you invest in your intensity with your investing. So number three is win. Number four is refine. So I'm winning. I'm, I'm doing the right things, but I can always be better. So I always continue to learn. I always continue to read books and listen to podcasts. I always tweak just a little bit what I'm doing to make it you know, 0.01 of a percent better. Or how can I tweak the way that I think about long-term investing to make myself, you know, 0.1% better at this? Um, so just to go over those again, educate yourself, execute, experience a win. Super important. Experience the win and then refine your process. Um, so that's how, I, that's how I overcame my fear of investing in the stock market. And I, I'm certainly sure that you can do the same. Um, So that's going to do it for episode six. Thanks so much for hanging out with me a little bit. I hope that you took one, two, five things (laughs) from this that you can apply to your life and uh, make yourself even more financially fit than you are. Um, Again, this is the Millennial Economics Podcast. My name is Jared Dixon, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.